Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, and also now on YouTube. So don't forget to go subscribe, rate, review. No, you don't do that on YouTube. Just go subscribe, notifications, etc. Watch our videos. We appreciate you very much. And joining me today, Andrew Kalanya, my lone designated hitter tonight, here to talk baseball, here to talk a little bit of Knicks because we have to rant here to kick this one off after that pathetic pathetic loss and then a special segment a new segment we like to call off the rails coming up andrew kalani what's up brother doing better than the Knicks, my friend doing better than the Knicks. <laughs> i mean like what's not doing better than the Knicks right now like the stock market's not in a great place i think i don't know i don't really follow it that hard but like there's some things struggling in the world the knicks are pretty high up on that list i mean i just went through it we were talking before we started recording in the new year, the Knicks came out kind of hot for themselves, right? They started off 5-2 and two in the new year. That's from January 2nd, their first game of 2022, uh, to January 15th, where they went on a 5-2 and two run in, in the first seven games of the new year. Since then, Andrew, 3-13 and 13 into the All-Star break. 3-13. and 13. So, we have a lot to say, but that, man, like, that's pretty damn bad. That's like the worst team in the league bad. You got the Thunder who just beat them. The, the Magic are pretty bad. And I haven't checked, uh, cross-referenced, you know, their their last uh, 16 games. But, like, that's how bad the Pistons are. That's how bad the Magic are. That's how bad the Thunder and Rockets are. And for all the Knicks fans out there who wanted this and wanted that and wanted a trade and wanted movement and the team was supposed to be a playoff team, they're supposed to be a top-four team, blah, blah, blah. None of it feels right. None of it feels true. It all feels like garbage because this team has been putting a garbage product out for now a full entire month, despite somehow playing well for three and a half quarters in a couple games recently and blowing multiple 25-plus point leads. Andrew, I digress for a second. What the hell is going on in New York? Is it the Garden? Are the Rangers dying as well? Because like something's bad here in New York for basketball. Uh, I don't, I don't know, especially going up against a, a, a net squad that obviously no Kevin Durant, no, no anybody. And yeah. how, how, how do you put up that kind of performance and just like lose focus? And that's kind of just been the, the tail of the, of the team. It's just, they're, they're doing well. And then all of a sudden they just, they just stop and just lose focus. And, and like, they can't stop the spiral from, from, from happening and going out of control. So it's a, uh, it's tough to watch. Well, before I get all hot and bothered, let me talk about something positive for a second here, and that's DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking like if you bet on the Nets money line as an underdog to beat the Knicks and then watch them come back from a 26-point deficit good. Actually, it's way better than that because that's probably, what, plus 200 odds or something like that? This is way better. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's 150 to 1 odds, people. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Contests. 
for basketball and other sports. DraftKings is also giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY number 467-369. Yeah, uh, the Nets had no Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving, no Ben Simmons. Patty Mills, who's been one of their better players all year, only had eight points. Uh, and the team was led solely pretty much by Cam Thomas, rookie, who dropped 21, uh, 16, I think, in the final quarter of that of that game. Seth Curry, the new addition there, and LaMarcus Aldridge. So the Knicks, who got a pretty decent performance for the most part from Julius Randle, who had over 30 points again, and Emmanuel Quickly, who had 18 points on pretty efficient shooting. They got beat by the big three of Seth Curry, Cam Thomas, and LaMarcus Aldridge. And uh, not to go too long on this because there's not that much to say. It's frustrating for so many different reasons, but the ones that stand out to me are over the past week and a half, even though they've now lost 13 out of their last 16 games, there has been there have been these signs of life with this Knicks team. There has been signs of life with Julius Randle specifically putting up numbers lately. And those signs of life have not led to any wins. They've led to good quarters. They've led to good halves. They've led to good three and a half quarters. But the fourth quarter performance from this team is abysmal. And it goes back to last season. And I said it on this podcast a million times. They had a really nice run last year. They had a really nice team that played good defense, that had a decent offense, that can get the job done. And they had the ball bounce in their favor in fourth quarters. But they haven't had a closer ever. Julius Randle isn't that guy. RJ Barrett's not that guy yet, even though he's hurt right now. Derrick Rose can't do it enough consistently. They don't have a closer. They don't have an elite offense. They don't even have a good offense. So all these people who wanted to be excited about the Knicks fan, the Knicks this year, and I was one of those fans, we were mistaken. We were wrong all along. It's not about what's transpired in the past two weeks. It's not what about transpired, you know, since this team really went on the slide a couple weeks into the season or when Derrick Rose got hurt. This was never that team. They never had that level of talent. Tibbs, I don't know if he was ever that guy. And I think we all got too excited off a weird season in the beginning of COVID where they played harder than everyone else and they beat all the teams they were supposed to beat. And Julius Randle had the best year of his career and no one expected it. Because now, with everybody expecting him to be that guy, everyone being healthy now that COVID's kind of in the rear view for the moment with the NBA, and other teams making improvements while the Knicks got Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. They were never even close, Andrew. We all thought they were supposed to be a top four seed. I said, eh, let's just hope they're going to be in the playoff, not the play-in. Then it was, all right, maybe we are a play-in team. Now we're three and a half games out of the play-in tournament. 13 out of 16 losses, and there's no way up. 
this season, I think, Drew. And it sucks. It sucks because they've had these moments where they had real juice over the past week and a half, and it hasn't meant anything but more else. Do you do you attribute this as a as a coaching problem, or do you think this is a more of a personnel problem? Yes. it is it's both it's 100 both and it's more it's more a personnel problem last year they were deep in the beginning of the season they were deep and the depth is not staying true this year derrick rose going down shouldn't mean as much as it does but it it is meaning a lot and the ob top inconsistency hasn't been there because he doesn't get the minutes quickly hasn't shot the ball well this year and, you know, you're putting a lot of uh, emphasis on a second-year player, second-year rotation there with both of those guys. Quinton Grimes has been one of the more consistent players as a rookie for this team, and that's not usually the formula for a truly successful team. Everybody's piling on Tibbs. In fact, tonight when you and I were planning on this episode and talking before we started recording, I had not I had turned off this game against the Nets because they were crushing the Nets. This game was over. I was like, ah, oh, me and Drew are going to get this podcast going, talk about some baseball, talk about some Marvel stuff. It's going to be a great one. So excited for our new segment off the rails. And then I get a text fire tips and I'm like, Oh no, you saw, you saw my face. I said, Oh no, <laughs> what happened? What happened? And I looked up and the nets are back in it. And then I look, I, by the time I got the game on, it was a tie game. I was like, what the hell? It's, it's appalling. And Tibbs not pulling the trigger on change is being, his downfall again. And I thought wholeheartedly when he took Kemba out of that lineup earlier in the year, that that was the best sign of Tom Thibodeau, not staying true to a veteran. Cause he's a veteran and saying, Hey, we need to play these young guys. We need to get these guys in the rotation. Turns out not the case. Randall playing too many minutes, Barrett playing too many minutes. It's not sustainable. The juice that he brought last year has fizzled out. And now we're sitting here, with a good defensive coach, a whatever offensive coach, and a guy who doesn't tinker with rotations enough to give the people who need a chance a chance. No. That's, That's it. Uh, That's all I got. Just, just really unfortunate. So, again, <sighs> I, I asked you this question on Twitter. Um, so, I guess this, I, you know, I guess this latest loss, um, who, who do you think was having a, a, a worse time, the Knicks or Rob Manfred? <laughs> And yes, there you go. It was a good segue. Thank you. And, um, uh, no, that was during the trade deadline when the Knicks didn't make any. Yes, moves. when they didn't make a move. Yes, but now I'll I'll re-ask that question. Who who do you think is having a, a worse time right now? Do you think or having a worse week? Uh, do you think it's uh, Knicks and Thibodeau, or do you think it's Rob Manfred and uh, the M- and MLB? In the moment, I said that Manfred and the MLB was having a worse moment because you know Manfred yes he did the DH thing we're all happy about that but on the other hand fans are pissed because he feels like he talks down to fans all the time and fans hate that and they hate him in general he's not really doing a lot of good things for the league in general um Leon Rose despite not making his team better at at, uh the trade deadline he didn't make his team worse which I noted as a positive and I think that Leon Rose has a plan so I chalked it up and I gave it to Leon Rose but right now I'm thinking about it, and I'm saying Rob Manfred is having a better week. You know why? Because I don't think he cares about what any of us think, any of us feel, and he's just going to do whatever he has to do to get his league right and keep his owners happy 
And, you know, that technically is the job of the commissioner. And all this other stuff about what the players want, what fans want, what everybody except the 32 owners want doesn't affect his day-to-day at all. I think he sleeps just fine at night, and that hurts to say. So Stanford wins right now. Yeah, and and I think that's what people get most misconstrued when they hear like the word commissioner. They think, oh, this is someone who is supposed to be the stewardship of the game of baseball. But in reality, he, he Rob Manfred, everyone says he's terrible at his job. He's actually very good at his job because his job is to pro- just to solely protect the interests of the of the owners of Major League Baseball and nothing else. You know, there there should be a component of doing what's best best for the game but that's not what he does and every time he talks and every time he tries to say that um he tries to act like people people are dumb and people who follow the sport are stupid trying to tell us that owning a major league baseball team is less profitable uh historically than um you know playing the stock market or something like that and yeah, there was a i forget which writer i think it's i think it was travis sawchuk he was like oh the s p 500 um, if you invested since 2002, it was up like 372% if you invested your money. But if you uh, MLB owner evaluations was like 508% or something like that. So it's just categorically false. So maybe if you like continue to go back to like the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe if you want to make that kind of argument, then like technically what he says correct. And that's like a thing with, Rit, with Manfred too. It's like every time he says something, it's technically correct, which is the best kind of correct, by the way. Mm, right. um, technically, it is. Te- technically, technically correct, but like it's it's in the most like smug. Disin- dis- disingenuous and smug way like possible. Yeah. So it's I I personally just like it makes my skin crawl every time I have to hear this man talk and just basically act like uh, I'm an idiot and try to talk down to me like um like you know. Like I'm a child, so yeah, it's a, it's really unfortunate right now. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you're you're 100 right. People don't always remember that that's the job of the commissioners to serve the owners, and that's why if you have polled owners in the NFL, they might have a very different opinion of Roger Goodell than any regular fan or anybody walking the street. Because most people who are just NFL fans either don't have an opinion because they don't care or they hate Roger Goodell. There's not many people out there on Twitter, you know, fighting for Goodell's uh, reputation, right? And yeah. Manfred's the same thing, probably worse now. I think Goodell's reached this point where he kind of broke through some of the negativity and kind of just exists in this plane of he, yeah, he's there. Yeah, the league's doing great. I guess he deserves some credit. I don't know. Whatever. Screw Goodell. Did you, did you see him singing with uh, Keegan Michael Key uh, on the NFL Honors or something? He was like singing no. with him. So it was, like, it was a it was a very it was a very weird and I guess I guess humanizing moment uh, for Roger Goodell. So he he was singing on uh, on uh, broadcast television. There you go. I I might need to check that out because it feels awkward enough to I would enjoy it and feel like uh, Manfred. On the other hand, is just yeah. all hate at this point. It's all negativity. It's all he doesn't know what he's doing, or it's all he thinks. You know, he thinks we're all dumb. That's yeah. not a good place to be for yeah. a commissioner. And especially in a place where I think the players feel that way too, because, you know, there was definitely some negativity towards Goodell from the NFL players, especially when a lot of the concussion stuff seemed to just, you know, turn, he just turned his head a little bit or with the, um, with the race stuff, 
maybe Goodell didn't go out into the forefront as much as he could have to defend Kaepernick, et cetera. So there's definitely vitriol against him in that regard. Um, but Manfred, this is obviously not like a, a race thing or a political thing or a social thing. It really comes down to treating his players slash employees with the best uh, thoughts in mind. And I think players are, are now fed up too. You saw the video of Francisco Lindor saying like, yeah, we want to play. We don't want to hold this thing out, but we will do what we have to do to get what we deserve, right? And all players probably feeling that way right now because they're feeling like they've been taken advantage of for a long time. And the interesting thing to me, Andrew, we're going to get into the details. Lindor and the big names are the guys who are the face of this, but the people who get hurt the most are the people we've never heard of. So it's a very complicated, deep issue that is getting fought over right now. So I'm going to give you the floor to take it where you want to take it and give us the details that we need about what's going on with this whole lockout and this baseball situation. Yeah, sure. So people want to say that like, oh, it's it's a both sides thing. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. And it's always the same people try to say it's both sides. The players being greedy. Why should I care about millionaires versus billionaires? But it's, it really comes down to it's like a microcosm of like the, the state of the country, basically. Um, where I, I, I'm trying to trying to put this in the like the most polite way possible. But like if like someone tries to say, oh, I, I would, you know, these baseball players make millions of dollars to play a kid's game. I would do it for free. First of all, no, you no you wouldn't. That's that's number one. Uh, no, number two, nobody would watch you 62 year old WFAN caller to play professional baseball for them. That's 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 one thing. And there's, you know, I understand the fact that the players are indeed trying to get what they feel like they deserve. Um but at the same time, the way that they're going about proposing it is beneficial to fans. They're trying to get rid of service time manipulation. So like Chris Bryant, for example, um, he was held down in, o- in 2016 uh, when he was a rookie. He was held down so the Cubs could get that extra year of uh, control over, you know, over his contract. He wouldn't be a free agent a year earlier. And that's what uh, that's what you know, teams do, they manipulate young players so they can have longer control where it's the most beneficial to the owners. So the players are trying to get rid of that. So the best, so if you're the best player, if you're one of the best 26 players uh, in your organization, you should be in the majors. You should be playing, get, try to get rid of that. So that's, that's fan friendly. That's something if you want to see your young superstar, you, you know, the, if in a, in a new system, Wander Franco would, wouldn't have started the year in AAA when everyone knew he was a major league caliber, you know, player and the race kept him down. So they got that extra year control, um, you know, which didn't really matter at the end of the day because they signed that long contract, but you know, uh, the way the, the way the Rays operate anyway, he becomes too expensive for them by in like 2026. Well, talk to me in 2026 when the Wander Franco, um, write it down in the books, make a note of it, Pete. He gets moved yeah. He's going to get moved. So, so that's, real quick, what, before you go on to the next point, I just want to mention to that. Yeah. It, are they trying to make that rule work for both sides? Where, like, I don't know exactly how that would land, but basically the way I'm thinking about that is what the teams did, you can't blame them for, right? Mm-hmm. Those are wise, savvy franchise decisions to do, right? Oh, we can hold Chris Bryant down until uh, until May, and we can keep him for another year on this cheap contract instead of paying him you know, $30 million a year is whatever he's going to get. Absolutely. And I think most fans would want their teams 
to do the best thing for the team, right? Is that, mm. is, that, is that fair to say? But however, it's hurting the game and it's hurting the individual players out there, you know, busting, busting their ass, trying to be the best player that they can be. So is there a, a, a are they trying to get this to somehow balance where, you know, we'll, we'll see them, but the team, you know, the team doesn't get screwed and the player doesn't get screwed or is that just why there's an issue? Is that why there's well, a lot? Well, that's, that's part of, it's part of the issue, but it's also like, how do you like put into law like speculation, you know, it's speculation of, you know, if the team says he needs to work on his defense for just the amount of time, like you're, right. you're like, how do you, how do you judge that? Pete Alonso so, was in the situation too, right? Like, oh, he's not ready to play defense in the MLB. Yeah. He's the but best that, hitter on the team. Yeah. And, but you know, the Mets did the, the Mets did the right thing. They didn't hold him down. They brought him, they brought him up and look what, and look what happened. He hit 53 home runs for him in his rookie season. You know, so it's like you want you want to and that's only good for the game to have young superstars coming up and contributing and uh, and making making more fans of the game. So that's that's just a positive for again for the sport and the owners. Again, you'll hear this consistently through uh, every point I'm going to make here. The owners are sacrificing or want to sacrifice basically the enjoyment of the game for to, to make it to basically make them bulletproof and where they basically not going to lose money if they don't field like an ultra competitive team. They can feel the, the basically every, every move and every proposal they've put forward, if they even made uh, a, a realistic or a rational proposal, which I don't from all reports have said that they haven't um, every single thing is just is at the, at the end of the day is a, is a bottom line decision. And we don't, you know, we have too many owners in there that are the Bob Nuttings and the smaller market teams that are just treating this as a maximum profit business rather than uh, Steve Cohen, who is going to, you know, I think even after signing Max Scherzer and stuff that he's still going to like the Mets payroll might be like $300 million like this year that he still wants to sign like another pitcher and another position player. Like he's, he's treating it like, how mean you treat our fantasy baseball teams, you know, and that right. we need more owners like that who want to be loved rather than, you know, and I think, you know, even if the Mets do have a $300 million payroll, I still, I still think Steve Cohen's making money off of uh, the, 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 the BAM tech sale from, from Disney. They're still getting $50 million a year. That's, you know, and TV contracts and real estate deals. There's a million other avenues where the owners can recoup losses um, and make money from their business um, and from owning a team. And again, if it wasn't profitable, there wouldn't be people lining up every single time. The Royals wouldn't have $1 billion franchise valuations. The Marlins wouldn't sell for over a billion dollars. If this wasn't profitable, you know, you can't, you know, you can't tell me that the owners aren't making money hand over fist as continue revenues continue to go up and up. And every single proposal that the owners have made so far have not even kept uh, the revenues up with like inflation going towards the players. And the players are just asking for um, kind of what's fair. They're trying to put more money into the pocket of the younger players because the how the deal used to be, uh, you know, if you were a young player, you paid your dues, you you made the minimum salary for three years and then you went to arbitration for another three. And then you would, you know, theoretically, if you survived in the MLB long enough, you would get that big payday at the end of the day. But then teams got wise 
and said, we're not going to pay. We're not going to give out massive contracts to 31, 32 year olds anymore. Like we've seen those turn bad. And I guess that makes sense to a certain degree, but at the same time, then, you know, you're, if you're a player, you're getting screwed coming and going now. So, and we've seen, uh, you know, the average contract for players go down. I think the lowest since like 2017 was in 2021, which shouldn't happen. No, if if everything else in the league, in the world, in every walk of life going up, the average salary of a professional baseball player should not go down. Again, and again, we're we're talking again, at, you know, millionaires, you know, but not everyone. Most is, of them. Like some most of them. Sorry, not of most them. of them. If you count the minor league players, it's not most of them. No, it it's not even, clo- not even close. The minority of people are the millionaires in this, in this game here. And mm-hmm. we can get more into the minor league part of this conversation in a little bit. I, I want to go back to the ownership stuff. I don't want to get too... I don't want to say off the rails. That's a holy, that's a totally different segment. Right? We'll get there. Of, we'll get there. Teaser. Um, but no, to, to the ownership stuff, it's a club, right? If you own a team, you are part mm-hmm. of this, this club of unique, special people who have this thing that so many people want in the NBA, in the NFL, in MLB, in hockey. When you own a team, it is a prestige thing. It is an ego thing. And it's a money-making thing. And the fact that there's only 30 in the NBA, 32 in the 32 in MLB, 30. Why do I think 32? Is there 32 football teams? What do I? I think 32 football teams. 32. Okay, somebody has 32. Whatever. The, the 30 people, like that's an exclusive membership only pass uh, of billionaires and billionaires that are allowed to operate in this space and be in this world. And it it, it shouldn't just be. It, it should be a profit thing, but it shouldn't just be a profit thing because if you're not in it to try to put a good product on the field, you're not even maximizing your own profits because what did we see to a team like the Golden State Warriors? When they got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, they became a real team. That valuation skyrocketed because they sold out every single game. Their ad sales were as big as ever. Their corporate sponsorships were as big as ever and they were on every national TV game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, everyone talks about how it's big market versus small market and the small markets don't get it. Blah, blah, blah. Golden state wasn't a big market team. Guess what? They are now because they've been a, a fantastic franchise for years and years and years, right? Like the same thing in, in, in baseball, like the Texas Rangers have spent a boatload of money and you can argue whether you want to call them a big market team or not. But they've had the money, they've had the backing, and when they've been their best, they've put money into it, and they made a couple World Series in a, in a few years. They didn't win yep. any, but but besides the point, like this whole thing about market size and whatever, then why why are uh, some teams in big markets running like small markets, and teams in small markets able to run like big markets? There's more to it, and the teams that operate the right way, and unfortunately, the teams that take advantage of some of these loopholes, if you will about contracts and et cetera can get there more swiftly, you know, and even teams yeah. like the Red Sox who spend, spend, spend end up cutting a Mookie bets or trading a Mookie bets to save a couple dollars here and there. Something has to change where it's more streamlined and makes more sense that people are going for it frequently rather than just existing and being part of this club. Exactly. And again, the point, the point of owning the team is to put the best product on the field and, uh, if the owners do get their way, it's uh, it, they're going to eliminate minor league jobs. They're going to cut spending like 
Uh, Hal Steinbrenner was on there when the owners were coming up with the committee and voting on luxury taxes. Like they wanted their initial offers to the union. So the luxury tax was uh, 212 million or something like that in or 220 million, something, something, something along those lines. The Hal Steinbrenner, again, owner of the Yankees, uh, was pro voting down the luxury tax to 180 million. So Hal Steinbrenner was uh, said publicly, I'm willing to throw away my market advantage to, you know, to make sure that I my bottom line is protected. And that's inexcusable for any owner, never mind the owner of the most profitable team in sports in the most profitable and the largest market in the country. So it's uh, again, it's it's disgusting. It's, now, wait, uh, can, you, can you further that explanation? Because I'm a little confused here. So he wanted to lower the the salary that the luxury tax. The so, luxury tax. So, so again, that the means- owners, the owners of so the the MLB um, when they have the the luxury tax. So basically, say if you right. exceed this amount of you know, let's say it was two hundred and twenty million dollars, whatever whatever it was, you're going to incur a uh, 15% penalty of every dollar you spend over like $20 million. And if you exceed it by $30 million, you're going to uh, pay a penalty of, you know, 30, $30 million. I think it was like 32% of every dollar you, sp- of dollar you spend of uh, over 20 to $40 million. If you exceed the luxury tax by over $40 million, so every dollar you spend over it, you're going to be taxed at 62%. So that was the, um, and again, these these penalties increase if you go over the luxury tax the first time, second time, third time. Um, so basically what the owners want to do is they want to a they want to lower that that threshold, that two hundred and twenty million dollars. And they want to make the uh, penalties for going over that much harsher. So basically they're trying to turn a soft salary cap, which teams right. are basically treating like a hard salary cap into an actual hard salary cap where the penalties are so extreme um, that nobody would in their, you know, in their right mind would exceed. Right. So, so and you know what, like that's something that I think fans, even if they don't want to accept it, they should understand there's a necessary evil there. Like that's something that does kind of need to exist because the, the schism in the Red Sox and Yankees and Mets and et cetera, and Dodgers, versus the Tampa Bay Rays of the world is so large. The difference is enormous, right? Like you need to do something to try to push that closer. But well that's well that's like why they House, have revenue. Well, that's why they have- hey, hold on. House Steinbrenner ain't doing it for competitive advantage. No. Right. He's doing it to give himself an excuse. Yep. Of when he doesn't want to spend, he doesn't have to because I don't want to go over luxury tax. It's not the right thing to do. If we go over luxury tax for these next two years, we can't spend over the next five. Yeah. We can't, we can't, that's, that's, that's what he's saying, but it's really because I don't want to spend. I don't want to exactly. Do it. And it was the, it. it was the, uh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to sign Manny Machado, um, because we have to lock up the core. We don't want to, we don't want to sign Bryce Harper because then we have to extend Aaron Judge. Now Aaron Judge is a year away from free agency. You don't want to resign Gary. Most people don't want to resign Gary Sanchez. And who else are you, you know, Glaber Torres has regressed. And where's this core that you're, that you're going to sign now? You know, right. it's you know what with Aaron Judge too. He's one of the perfect examples of what we were talking about before. My man's hitting free agency in age thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell? Like yeah. I know baseball is very different. You don't most people don't get up to the majors until they're twenty-four to twenty-seven. So I get it, but the fact that so many players are done with their primes 
by the time they are a free agent for the first time in their careers is absurd. When in NFL and uh, NBA, like these people are hitting free agency sometimes two, three times in their careers. And in MLB, it's like, all right, yeah, you can sign a eight year contract, uh, but you could also be 32 and all the way past your prime by the time you get there. Yeah, so, and I never and I never fault like the Wander Francos of the world signing those deals. But if like Wander Franco signed for I, I forget I forget what the numbers are. He signed for a very large amount of money. He signed for like twelve years and like a hundred and like I think it was like close to like two hundred million dollars, something something right. along those lines. If Wander Franco, so that's that's just the extension he got from the race. If Rondo Fra- Wander Franco was a free agent today, he the 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 dollar amount on his free agent contract would be like $600 million. Like that's, that's what the market would bear to sign a, a 19 or 21, 20 year old superstar. Right. For, you know, he would sign a, a 15 year deal, $600 million, something like that, something crazy. So it's like, what, are, what are we doing here? What, what exactly um, are, are, are we doing here? And how do we, how do we just kind of fix this, broken system I don't, and i don't think the players can i don't think it's realistic to expect the players to be able to get everything their entire wishes but they you know in order to basically save the game of you know they, i wouldn't i wouldn't put it as dressed as save the game of baseball but to to you know the best interest of for for fans and for the younger players if they if they lose out on this i don't you know the, the landscape of the sport will drastically change. And I don't know what it looks like after that. You know, what do, you know, what do the Yankees look like if they have, if a luxury tax is only $180 million, right. what do you, we, uh, what happens then? You know, and it's just nothing, nothing good. And, nothing and what, good can come from it. What it feels like is that ownership and the general managers who are actually pulling these strings what they're are they striving for a league of replacement players? Like, or do they trust that the young talent is going to come up every single year that they can just kick out the 28 year old instead of paying them to get another 24 year old in? Maybe it is what it is. I mean, that's what that the race extent, do. Right. And, and that works to an extent, but guess what? If you start chipping away at the minor league system, that pool of talent that you want is going to be smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you have to be, you have to be much more right about who you evaluate and who you choose and like, there's not enough. There's not enough smart teams in baseball to operate that way. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 it, that's not a system that could work. That's not a, even in the the most analytic, data driven places. Like teams still get players wrong, majority of the time. You know, all the time. Yeah, all the, all time. the time at the highest level as well. You know, and, and I know a guy who. Uh, uh, you know, I played against in high school who's currently in an MLB organization. He got his first call up to the majors last year. He's my age, so he's 27, right? Like, in theory, he's 27 now. He's probably in the peak of his pitching career. Like, his his highest velo, his best movement, his best command, all that stuff is probably top tier for where he's ever been as a pitcher. And right now, if he came back into the majors for his organization, he'd be on a rookie deal at 27, and based off his trajectory, there's a better chance of him being off of MLB roster and out of the league than making it to free agency and ever signing like a real deal. So exactly. this guy who's committing 10 plus years, perhaps, if he goes through his whole rookie contract, 10 plus years, perhaps, 
to major league baseball and minor league baseball. Like he's walking away with a couple hundred thousand dollars for sure, but that's over 10 years and Mm -hmm. that's it. Like he has to find a new career. Yeah. Does he have an in to be able to train pitchers for sure? But you know, it, it, everybody who sits in a desk and does a regular job or anybody who works in a union contracting teaches, whatever you may do, people always think, Oh, you making a hundred thousand dollars over to play baseball. Like that's the life. No, it's not. These mm-hmm. people are grinding six, seven days a week, having to eat like a professional athlete, having to train yep. like a professional athlete, having to travel like a professional athlete on an income that doesn't add up to yep. that lifestyle, to what they're expected to do week in week out for a whole entire year to make it to the majors like this organization wants them to. And guess what? If you don't, you just made no money. You have no job. You probably, you might've not went to college cause you got drafted. Mm-hmm. Hey, good luck. Good yeah. luck. Exactly. Go find a new career. Go start something new. That's it. They, and it's, and it's, I always find that argument funny too. It's like, Oh, school, you know, these guys are playing, making, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollars and millions of dollars to play a kid's game and teachers only making this and that, like follow, follow that thought process through for a second here or fine. If you want to, if you want to say, I'll admit, you know, baseball players, you know, teachers get, should get paid more, but if you follow that thought, thought logic through, um, and baseball players get compensated for the, I guess the skill level of, you know, what it brings to society, then, you know, follow that, keep continue to go upwards. Then, you know, these owners and billionaires wouldn't exist as well. So it, it oh. like follow that thought process through at when you, again, when you're calling in WFAN at three o'clock in the afternoon, because you don't, you know, you're retired. I feel like early. Al yeah. should enjoy this conversation. You know, yeah. he loves, he loves all those callers so much. And, yeah. and it's just like, there's a barrier to entry with the mm-hmm. minors and with the majors, right? Cause you have to be elite, elite, elite to even get there. There's yeah. not that type of barrier entry with all these other jobs, right? No, it's just not. There's. Yeah. And it's and, yeah. more of teachers in the world than there are of professional baseball players. Like come exactly. On. You know? exactly. And, you know, and speaking of just like minor league players, like, and again, um, these are, these are like low paying jobs. And again, if you're talking about, there, there was another issue of, of the owners and they're currently finding this out, fighting this out in court at the moment of not wanting to pay minor leaguers while they're in spring training for six, for six plus weeks. And again, these are guys where like, you're, you're part of the organization, right? You're, it's not like you're, it's like me or you showing up to try out there. Right. You're a part of the organization. You're you're lucky enough to get invited to to a big league camp, and you know it's basically mandatory that you're that you're there. If you say no, I don't want to show up because I'm not getting paid. Then goodbye to your career. You're, you're, <laughs> goodbye to your goodbye to your career. It's not like you can latch on to another team because again, your rights are controlled by a single organization for seven plus years. So if you say no, I'm not doing this, then you're just blackballed from the sport and. Basically, you're you're forced to to again work for free uh, and train for you know you're you're working eight to ten hour days, six to seven days a week, and you're expected to just do it for free and you know have to uh, have a second job or you know again if you're if you're telling me that th- these are the future of your organization and you're dependent on these people providing you with cheap labor. And coming up and, you know, maybe only playing a couple of years and you're getting the most out of them and then discarding them. Like, 
hey, just pay them a pay them a living wage to to do so, where they don't have to worry about where their meals are coming from or where they're going to train in the off season or where they're going to live. Like these are all just like basic, I guess, human needs that that should just be met, and, and it's a minimal cost to do so. And like and like, or if you're an organization, why wouldn't you invest in those type of players if you can get excess value from a minor leaguer, like? This isn't this is me on a soapbox trying to get wages for the small guy. Like it benefits the owners more than it benefits the players. You're gonna because you if you develop if you if you peak develop somebody into a a cheap a cheap player to come up and give you value like that's your return on investment tenfold for for right. providing a, a dormitory for a for a triple A player. Like it's it's crazy that that. Um, it's gotten to this point where even the major leaguers who are who are not in are are bargaining and trying to make a situation better for people who are not even in their union. So it's uh it, that's how far this uh, situation is uh has come. Yeah, and I, I do wish Alec was here because he was arguing you and I on that mm-hmm. exact topic, and he had some other takes that were fair, right? Like yeah. you know, in, there's internships in the world still that are unpaid, and is that right? I said two wrongs don't make a right. He said, yeah, well, you know, it teaches you character and there is, you know, there's benefits. I was like, yeah, well, guess what? Character doesn't work for somebody who needs to survive and has a family, right? Like that yeah. just doesn't get the job done. So I wish he was here because we could have that debate and he could actually properly defend himself. Um, but I think a lot of people are leaning towards that and hopefully they get there. Right. So let's, let's reel yeah. this back in. Cause we have to get off the rails. We, I feel like we've been off the rails already for a few, little while yeah. here, but we're actually still on the rails. So w- let's round this into shape here, Andrew. In your opinion, what are the the three key tenants that they're trying to figure out here? And if there's anything positive that has come out already um, in regards to all these lockout talks. So like anything that's come out positive already or negative already. And then what's like the three big things like holding this thing apart still? Um, So I would say the positive so far that's come out of it. um, They've agreed on universal designated hitter, which is fantastic. We've been we've been talking about this uh, years? Long, long, yeah, long before this pod even existed, oh. and we were in we were on the old oh, pod. God. We were talking about the designated hitter, so that's that's great. That benefits the Mets uh, tremendously with Dom Smith and Robson Cano and all the other DH candidates they have. And you can have a rotation. Totally forgot. I forget about him all the time. But yes, <laughs> what a huge win for the MLB and for all fans, and even people who don't know that they wanted the universal DH, I, they're still benefiting from this because they'll realize that they were holding on to something that was silly. So yeah. continue. Yeah. So they, they got, they agreed upon that. They got rid of the draft pick um, penalty for signing a premier free agent. So if the Mets signed uh, Carlos, let's say in the new collective bargaining agreement, the Mets signed Carlos Correa, which would be amazing uh, for them. Yes, the Mets would, the Mets would not lose a draft pick, but the Astros would gain a draft pick. So, it incentivizes teams to to not be scared of the qualifying offer that's attached to players and scared of losing the draft pick. And it just uh, it allows it compensates the team that's losing the premier free agent. So that's a positive on on both sides, both for the team and for the players. Um, and uh, I guess talking about the whatever major hurdles are left. So um, the luxury tax is absolutely uh, a big tenant here. Um we're talking about, um, again, we kind of gone over it a little bit there, you know, where the luxury tax is going to be, um, you know, the players, 
the the owners basically want to if it was 220 million i think their proposal is uh they'll make it 222 million dollars i think that was their their initial two million dollars and then escalates like two million dollars uh, each year for like five years or however long the cba is which again doesn't keep up with just inflation or revenues or it makes no financial TV uh, deal that they'll get. yeah it makes it makes no sense whatsoever um the players are you know asking for i think like 245 million dollars and then going up to i think escalating up to like 260 270 million dollars so i'm sure they'll meet in the middle somewhere um so you i would expect the uh, luxury tax and, and and you know to to probably be in the two two thirties two forties range I guess when it's all said and done but we'll see what kind of penalties are um, and see if the owners uh, are able to get them to agree to that um, and and I think the the other is is trying to figure out um, that this player pool so again this was part of um, part of the agreement of what they've agreed upon so far. So they agreed upon um, to give uh, younger players. So anybody who's, um, you know, within those first uh, three years of their, the, that minimum salary contract, if they finish in like the top 30, I think they're trying to decide which war metric um, they're going to use that the owners would put in some kind of bonus pool money and that pool would get distributed to players. And they're just, they're basically bargaining on, how big that pool is going to be MLB wants like wants the pool to be like $10 million. The players want it to be a hundred million dollars. They're pretty far apart <laughs> on, uh, on that number as well. Yes, um, tough. And I think, and I think the last major issue, again, when we talked about this as well is the, is the minor league. So MLB is proposing to get rid of uh, or have the ability to get rid of as much as uh, uh, hundreds of minor league players. So to shrink that player pool down and, um, you know, just to not incur that cost, that minimal cost of, you know, paying minor league players. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to, again, it's, uh, it's the main difference of trying to get money into the younger players hands, trying to not send incentivize, uh, you know, manipulation of younger players, um, making sure they're up in the major as soon as they can, and making sure that owners continue to spend in free agency, and um, you know, make sure that their salaries continue to continue to rise. Um, and it's funny, um, you know, and again, the not to not to to dig back into the whole thing. Um, there were smarter people than I uh, doing these financial analysis. I think it was Craig Calcaterra. Um, that basically did a analysis of, you know, if the owners folded on every single major issue that the players were proposing at the current moment, they would still be in a better financial situation than they were three years ago um, before Jeez. COVID before. So they would still they would still be making out ahead financially. So it's just like how much money um, are the owners going to you know continue to receive from and this listen. and how much and how much the players can get. I hate to break this to everybody out there, but there's a reason that all those people are owners. Yep. They're crude and they're savvy and mm. they're not going to give up as much as they need to. Cause you know, or they as, much as, they, as much as they have to, cause they don't need, cause they don't need to whatever. Exactly. I don't know what the hell I'm that's, saying. That, that's I'm how, saying. that's how the world works. It's just how that's just, we live in a society. I think that's the, I think that's the, yeah. we live, we live in a society, uh, Pete. That is correct. So, you know, I think there'll be some compromise. I think that'll be good overall. 
but the owners are not getting screwed. No. Not going to happen. So with that being said, my final question on this topic here, and great job breaking it all down by you, Andrew. When is the season starting? So it's um, so pitchers and catchers were supposed to report on, mm. on Monday. I believe oh. that was that was would be the day. So uh, opening day is March 31st. Um, and oh. basically from what Manfred said, in his press conference, um, I don't know if the, the Players Association agrees, but they would need about four weeks of spring training to not delay uh, opening day starting. So that gives them about two and a half to three weeks to get their shit in order or else uh, we're, we're missing games. So we're, we're getting dangerously close to missing games, and that is the absolute – and even Manfred – and Minnesota, that is the worst possible scenario for the sport. Did Manfred so, say that? He did say that. He said it's, oh, it would be yeah. a, it would be a disaster if they missed games. I hope he he says that and he means it because this is a sport that people mostly talk about at the national level about how to fix it. Mm-hmm. How do we make this sport work? How do we fix it outside of Otani talk, which got pretty real last year, which was, which was great for the, for the league. I think, even though, you know, some Yankee fans probably don't like it. I know Alex, but not doesn't love Alex, it. Hearing I, about he it. I'm not Otani. speaking for you, Andrew. I'm speaking for other Yankee fans. Like Thank you. at least it was something baseball related for once on the national landscape about baseball. And I'm not saying baseball is dying. Cause that's not true. Locally. It's still very strong. Right. But to have the national talking points, not be negative for once. Come on. We need that. Baseball mm-hmm. needs that. And everyone jokes on the NBA who's not an NBA fan, but what they do every single year is capture narrative and talk about basketball every yep. single year, whether it be an MVP debate, whether it be an NBA finals debate, whether it be free agency and trades, the NBA hits the national spotlight daily or weekly, whatever you want to break down. MLB hits the national spotlight quarterly. And three of those four quarters are usually negative. How do we fix it? What's wrong with the Hall of Fame? This sucks. There's yeah. a lockout. Like, let's get some positivity with this league going on a national landscape. And I'm excited. And maybe having uh, Chris Russo mm-hmm. on uh, first take will help that out. <laughs> uh, the, uh, to end on a positive note before things get uh, completely off the rails, and we hope we do uh, get off the rails here, um, that whenever they do reach an agreement, you know how there was that signing fury basically in November, right before the lockout. We're going to see that 20 fold. Whenever oh, yeah. the CBA comes, you have Carlos Correa. You still have Trevor story. You still have all these, you still have uh, Freddie Freeman. You have, so all these free agents and then trades that are just going to happen. Guys are going to sign quickly. You're going to have like a two week news cycle of just constant news and transactions. And I feel like that will help change the narrative on the sport uh, instead of, you know, it took them so long to come to agreement. They'll quickly get distracted by, you know, Mendelson trades and Freddie Freeman signs and all the, all that stuff. So there'll be a, it'll be a positive for MLB overall. It's just a matter of when that happens. It's a great point. Great spin zone by you. If it starts even just a few weeks late, that excitement will bring enough energy around the game and people look forward to it. It's almost like, be careful what you wish for. Like, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone type of situation. Because if now yeah. baseball is supposed to start March 31st and it's like, well, we don't have baseball. Where's baseball? Then when it starts actually on April 15th, 
people are going to be excited. Like, oh, man, I missed this. I missed yeah. that spring training or not spring training that like opening week day game while you're working from the office and you can kind of watch and not really pay attention to work and mm -hmm. just watch it. Like we need that. That'll be exciting. So hopefully we get that soon. Uh, and it, hopefully it all works out, but yeah, subway sports talk. Pete Kennedy, Andrew Klein, you were not done yet. It's time to go off the rails, a, a name for a segment that was right in front of us for this past year. <laughs> talking about non-sports stuff. And it just hit me one night and I texted you and Alec instantly and there's no better way to start this segment off. Actually, there is a better way if Alec was here with us today. But we're going to do our best without him. Andrew, the world of Marvel is fantastic. It's crazy. And it's been something to really keep up with over the past, what, now, a decade plus. But specifically over the past couple of years and past few months with Spider-Man No Way Home, it's been epically expanding in many ways. Not just inside the universe and outside the universe, but in our own world of talking about this stuff and reporting, not reporting it, but like watching trailers, breaking it down, mm. Easter eggs, all that stuff existed, but it's bigger than ever. So we're going to do our best job to talk about the Dr. Strange trailer that dropped during the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe we'll mention Moon Knight as well, because that's the mm. next Marvel property coming out. But Andrew, let me just say this, that Dr. Strange trailer was off the wall. It was exciting. It was revealing. And it really brought the house down from a non-sports point. I think it won the night. So what was your first reaction to that? Where did you see it? Did you see it live? Did yeah. you have to watch it online like myself? What, what did you see on the first go round? Oh, I, I, I saw the, the initial, I think they did like a, like a 20 second teaser and they're like, Oh, watch the rest of it online. So like the game was going on and I was just like, I like put it, put in my earbud, my AirPod. And I was like, I was listening, watching the trailer while, uh, while the game was going on and it was, it was everything that you could have possibly wanted and everyone that everything that people have speculated about. And, you know, I'll, I'll hundred percent admit that like after Endgame, um, before we knew about Spider-Man and all the, and the shows and what they, what they were and what they were, you know, what they became, I was just like, I was kind of okay with the MCU kind of just like dying. I was like, this is the perfect ending for and now I'm I am absolutely eating those words because they have just thrown the kitchen sink in like the best way and the most satisfying way for even if you're not even like a hardcore like comic book fan or you know any of the history they just like Marvel continues to give you moments uh, that surprise you and but leaves you ultimately like ultimately satisfied at like the end of the day like um, I think we all knew that Tobey Maguire. And Andrew Garfield were going to be in No Way Home, but like at like seeing them on screen and watching the movie, like that didn't matter. That didn't matter that I knew what was going to happen. I was just so satisfied by by what they presented to me at the same time. And then this Doctor Strange trailer was like just more of that, like the hints of Charles Xavier and Captain Carter and what if being a, a potentially a major um, uh, component of this movie and Wanda and all the rumored cast of, of this, uh, of, of this movie that sounds so ridiculous that I don't believe it. But at the same time, like I, I shared that list with you before we started here of, you know, Tom Cruise being superior Iron Man, Lou Ferrigno showing up, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio somehow playing a Spider-Man. Like this is all like crazy stuff that I, I don't believe, but like, Right. If I, when we go see this movie in May, 
if and you Leonardo saw DiCaprio it. shows up on the screen, I'm just gonna be like, holy shit. Is that the, that's though, actually the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that it's fantastic. I, I don't know if I'm gonna buy into that entire list yet, right? Obviously, but like you were just explaining, the way that they've landed so many of these ambitious stunts, and I don't mean stunts in the in like you know t- uh, Tom Holland and Spider Man flipping around a screen. I mean stunts in the regards to them getting Loki and Owen Wilson inside of, of a Disney plus streaming show that that was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And what if as this animated series that everyone's like, ah, it's just a cute little attachment. It's fun. It's different. It, it gives you this whole other world of possibilities, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, you see that Dr. Strange trailer at the end of Spider-Man. And I said to my friend, I was watching it with, I was like, yo, did you watch what if, right? He's like, nah, whatever. I, I was like, bro, you got to watch it now. When you see yeah. the multiple stranges, and if you still haven't seen What If, go go watch it, especially before this movie comes out. The way they're tying this together, I always think to myself, Andrew, was there these writers in a room, you know, ten years ago saying, "Oh, it's going to be so sick when we can tie all these things together from like twelve years apart, and it's going to make perfect sense, and it's going to be seamless, and we're going to make Loki on the day of uh the oh my god." What movie did he get caught? The Attack on New York, right? The, yeah, and, and, first and, Avengers. Yeah, the first Avengers. Right, like that's gonna now appear in Endgame. It's gonna now gonna burst off into this Loki show. Like, did they think about this all as it went on? Like, when did they even realize that this universe can become what it is today? And the fact that they're still expanding on it and landing more often than not, you know, it's not like every show and movie's been a hit. I think Captain. Falcon, uh, Captain American, Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier. What the fuck mm-hmm. was it called? Uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I said Captain, whatever. Falcon and the Winter well, he Soldier. He turns into Cat. Spoilers, he becomes Captain America. There you go. <laughs> Which was obvious, obvious. Yes. Right. But, like That wasn't great, but it was still decent. And like mm-hmm. Eternals wasn't great. I think it got worse reviews than it actually was. You recently watched it. And yep. they've been hitting singles and doubles and home runs consistently now for a long time. And it blows my mind that they're still seamlessly following their plan that somehow they must have had all these years ago. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it always helps that like, you know, they've gotten the the rights back to a lot of characters or they've been able to partnership with Sony to, to bring spy all the Spider-Mans into the MCU. Like that was like, I feel like that was the biggest turning point for the MCU when they got Spider-Man back, were they able to work with another studio to say, Hey, let us play. Let's let this character come play in this toy box. And like, It'll be profitable for for everybody, and it has been. And now that they have the rights to the X Men back, they can they can play around in this world where you can you can now with Doctor Strange, you can bring back a Charles Xavier, you can bring back Hugh Jackman as Logan, you can bring in Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, um, you can bring in all these guys from the your backlog of history of characters, and that that have played them on the big screen and 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 honor them and bring them forward and do something new with them. It's just the possibilities are unlimited. So now let's taper some of those expectations, right? Because it doesn't mean that now Hugh Jackman's going to be in the MCU for three films over the next six years. That does, that's yeah. not what this means per se. It may mean a show up for a couple minutes, steal the screen and then be gone, right? Yeah. That it could be. That's, what, that's what I, that's what I think that, that Dr. Strange is going to be like, none of like, again, characters for some, yeah, characters, some for some, right? For like a Hugh Jackman, you probably expect it to be a snappy, snappy situation. 
for Tom Cruise, that's arguable because of the history with him becoming Iron Man in the first place. Like maybe he has like one movie run in him being like this crazy Iron Man guy. But like some of the things now with like Fantastic Four being rumored to be involved in this Doctor Strange uh, multiverse of madness and the Illuminati possibilities there. Like, could it be John Krasinski in there full time again for a couple movies? Could it be, um, what's his name? Jan Gufron, Gufron, Gufron mm-hmm. from the, from like the Gouf- first ones Gouf- in Gouf- four or five. Like, yep. could he be back in for two or three movies? Because the fantastic four seemingly will be back and a mm-hmm. part of the MCU again. So I think it's important to manage expectations there and not expect Hugh Jackman as, X-Men fighting along Tom Holland yeah. and uh you know Anthony Mackie <laughs> anytime soon but some of those characters could be here to stay for a while or you, you know I think you know if uh, Chris Evans comes back as Johnny Storm like right. everyone's I could I could 100% see like the movie like Chris Evans shows up and he's just wearing like a regular outfit and they're like holy shit Captain you know Chris, uh Steve Rogers is back and then he goes like flame on and then like he fucking turns into yeah, the human torch like yeah uh that'd be like <laughs> i be- heard i heard a thing from uh the guy on new rock stars uh mt i forget his full name mastertainment is what he goes by on twitter mt he mm. said something he's like the way i think about this it happening is like a rick and morty situation where like there's characters in rick and morty who come in for an episode and you're like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen i have no idea what that is but i love it and then it's mm-hmm. gone. Might not matter. Might not ever come back. Maybe it comes back a season later, like Bird Person, right? Or mm-hmm. Mr. Pretty Butthole had this run. Like Squanch. Yeah, Mr. Squanch. <laughs> Mr. Squanch, man. Like <laughs> those people kind of show up. You're like, ah, is this guy important? Like nothing's important. Nothing matters. Whatever. Like some yeah. things in the MCU can become like that soon, which is exciting. Yeah. Uh, but then some of those characters will be here to stay as well, which is also exciting. I don't know where it lands, but it's something to think yeah. about. It's it's it'll be it'll be all, all I know is that like they've earned the trust I have in in whatever they're going to do. They could tell me again, again, nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy was, you know, before they showed up. They could they can make a movie about the most obscure uh, character that like 12 people have heard. And I'd be like, it, it'll be it'll be fucking awesome. Like, I, I just I just know be at least decent or at least it does at least half decent, like even Eternals, like. I thought I was just expecting it to be like bottom tier, like Thor, uh, Dark World, which even even the MCU, they redeemed Thor Dark World in Endgame. Like that was like a major plot point of Endgame was arguably the worst MCU movie. And they somehow tied it in and made it like acceptable and palatable. So even if it was even if it was that like they most of most of the movies are are just like a, on a good like a, just a good movie, a good popcorn action superhero movie like at the very least they're they're very few misses in the mcu but they do do happen but so like, so let's go they, through specifics here now mm-hmm. with this doctor strange stuff and moon knight is something else to mention like if, if you guys yeah. out there haven't seen wandavision which you probably i probably might rewatch before doctor strange comes out but mm-hmm. if you haven't seen wandavision and loki and hawkeye i'd say definitely watch those Falcon and Winter Soldier was probably the least uh, impressive out of that bunch, but I would mm-hmm. still watch it. De- decent, decent enough watch to get through. And what if? Definitely, I I enjoyed. I know you and Alec didn't have as fond a thought on what if, but now it's almost like, oh wow, that wasn't just BS. It wasn't just crazy stuff. It might be kind of real. So mm-hmm. go watch what if. Uh, Moon Knight 
looks awesome as well. Very excited. But Doctor Strange, yeah, if you've seen the trailer, I mean, if you're still here, I imagine you've seen the trailer. I'll, I'll say. <laughs> so there's now this idea of the Illuminati, which exists in the Marvel comics. The original Illuminati uh, conducts of Tony Stark, um, Reed Richards, which is Mr. Fantastic from Fantastic Four, Professor Xavier, Charles Xavier, which we saw in the trailer. We got two guys who are not in the current MCU, Namor, some Atlantis God, and Black Bolt, who I don't know much about, uh, and Doctor Strange is in this Illuminati. So that's six people. Right now, Doctor Strange is a prisoner heading into this Illuminati, and there's tons of ideas of who else fills out these chairs, Andrew. Mm -hmm. The one that we can definitely 100% confirm is Pro Professor X, Charles Xavier, whose okay. voice we heard confirmed in the movie, etc. That leaves five other spots, some possibly easier to fill than others. So if you had to bet on two people, because we're not going to make you bet on all five because mm. it's hard to do that. If you had to put money on two people to be in there, who were your first two picks to be in those other chairs? Uh, Tom Cruise as Superior uh, Superior Iron Man. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely number one because you, you saw the armor. And the and the Ultron robots that look very similar to his comic um, counter counter uh, comic comic book adaptation, so that that makes hundred uh, percent sense to me. And then I think the other one I would definitely say is Reed Richards. Um, you kind of saw the outline of like the four on his on his shirt. If you do, if you look at one of those websites that do like the major breakdowns of the trailer. I just don't know if that's John Krasinski or the the guy from the 2000s uh, Fantastic Four, but those would be my two main bets of 100% who's who's in that room. Now, what what are the odds of an RDJ appearance? Do you think in that in that Oof. superior superior Iron Man role? Like, I know it makes sense for Tom Cruise to just be in there, be an outrageous douchebag, Tony Stark for like an, a couple hours on our tele our not television on our movie screens, and then never see him again. Like that might work really, really well. And I'm not mad about it, but what are the odds? It's RDJ as this alternate version of himself is variant. It could be, uh, I, I, that, that would be a, that would be an, a pretty great bait and switch of, you know, thinking that you're going to get Tom Cruise, but then it's really RDJ. They, they masked, they put that fake rumor of Tom Cruise. That sounds real enough. And then they bait and switch RDJ. I get, again, Nothing would nothing would surprise me in the MCU anymore. Like nothing surprised, nothing would surprise me. Like I think you can tell me that both of them show up. I'd be like, okay, that <laughs> yeah, makes sense. It's true. It's true. Okay, so I think I'm with you on those two. Uh, Superior Iron Man makes sense so much so with the the Ultron robots and that Ultron tech in general. Um, Fantastic Four's coming. It's coming. Yeah, and that excites me because that means Doctor Doom is probably coming mm -hmm. at some point, and I love that character. So I'm excited about that. Um, I would agree with those two first picks. Now, moving on, Doctor Strange used to sit on this uh, Illuminati, or not used to, but in the comics, right? He's in the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be a strange variant? Because there's clearly going to be multiple strange variants in mm -hmm. this movie. Is there a strange variant up there or the more rumored Mordo uh, appearance on the Illuminati? I think I think it's Mordo because if you look, I think there's part of the trailer, you look outside of the sanctuary, wherever they are, there's like a statue of Dr. Strange as if like he was like dead. So I assume there, you know, there's, there's an open seat there. I also think, I think I saw the outline of uh, Captain Carter might be also one of the members of the Illuminati as well, which would be, 
to see Peggy Peggy Atwell to come back and like be that uh, what if character would be would be very cool too. Yes, and that's another what if shout out. So if you haven't seen it, you know, go watch. This is the first what if episode, and then comes back in the last one. So yep, I guess I don't know that's a spoiler, or whatever. And um, we haven't even talked about Wanda Maximoff at all, and, and she's we have gonna, the multiple she's... variants of Wanda Maximoff as well. Mm-hmm. One zombie looking one, one defeated one, uh, on her uh, you know, on her knees in the West uh, Westview apartment or not of a house from WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Normal looking one, a beaten up one, like. A lot of crap going on for Wanda uh, as well. And she seemingly may be attacking this Illuminati. Yep. And there's a, a possible Monica or Maria Rambeau sighting here. It's kind of wild. Um, now let's talk about the X-Men though real quick. Or first, what what about to round off the, uh, the Illuminati? Any other guesses there? Any other just like shot in the dark people who or somebody you would want to see could be completely random? Uh it would be funny if Deadpool was up there, but I think that's that's too silly of a too, too silly. silly too silly of a route. Like I I definitely think he'll show up at some. Ryan Reynolds will definitely show up at some point, uh, but I don't think he's on the Illuminati. Uh, I don't think I can think he's of anybody. Like yeah, I don't know why I'm here either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll say something like like what the shit. <laughs> and I think um uh, you know I'm pretty sure Josh Brolin is gonna be in there as both Cable. I think that's also the rumor of him being there as Cable and Thanos. Obviously, Ooh. he played he played both those roles in uh, one in Deadpool, obviously, and the other in the MCU. So again, like the possibilities are endless. Now, well, how about this one? One more shot in the dark Illuminati member. Mm-hmm. If you watch Loki, obviously, we did uh, Kang. He mm-hmm. who remains Jonathan Majors. How about yes. a Jonathan Majors variant on the Illuminati, a Kang variant who is really playing the other side of the token right now where this version of Kang, this variant is being nice, Mr. Nice guy. I love the world. I'm trying to protect the world. I'm going to be part of this group that does that. The multiverse, blah, blah, blah. And these other variants of Kang's that are super evil, crazy ones that are going to fuck shit up. Um, so how about a Jonathan majors variant? That'd movie? be awesome. Uh, I, I want I, more of him no matter I, what. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty safe bet as well. I think that's like a, like a minus, like a minus two fifty. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's a pretty. The more you said it, that like that makes too much sense, especially given what we saw in, in Loki. So I think that's a pretty pretty uh, pretty safe bet there. And I think there's a chance that there's going to be so many Kang variants in, in mm-hmm. my in my guesstimation. Another one could be uh, in the old Avengers slash old Stark Tower. Could be a Kang operation. Mm-hmm. You know, now obviously like Sword is the new Shield, if you will. Mm-hmm maybe they'll be there uh, who knows who'll be in that building but maybe kang has his like front facing empire as well i don't know i don't know the, the john the majors possibilities are endless so now let's go on to x-men as we were we were getting there um what what's the end game for lack of a better terms of bringing the x-men into this universe is it for fun cameos and exciting moments or do the film breakdowns and trajectory of this whole thing i don't want to call it the mcu if it's expanding thing really change and go back into making x-men films that somehow relate to the first 25 movies we just got yeah i don't think i don't i i personally don't think that's going to be the case um i think whatever the result of this movie is is what is going to bring the x-men into the mcu i just don't think you know there's too much baggage and, and i understand that people like 
McAvoy and people like Patrick Stewart and all that stuff, but like how, and, you know, and uh, Hugh Jackman, but how, you know, you basically have to, you have to start from scratch with them, but like, or I, I don't know, the, I feel like the timeline, or whenever the MCU wants to do something, they'll do their own version of it. So again, the same thing, if again, you saw uh, lightly a Spider-Man movie, they had Venom in it, but again, it, Tom Hardy got, uh, bleed from existence so thank god because he's those movies are god awful and the mcu wants to do their own spin. Tom hardy but not that tom hardy no he's just sweating and he's <laughs> just like mumbling and like just like making really weird acting choices like the whole movie so like i'm, I'm glad he's i'm glad he's gone so you know but it it leaves interpretation for the mcu to do venom on their terms so i assume it will be a similar case where it'll They'll have some kind of connection to those X-Men, but I feel like we'll get new actors or, in, or maybe some mix of old and new. Right. Um, and new origin there. stories. New origin stories, a whole a whole thing. They'll properly set it up to be a part of the universe. Um, so yeah, so there'll be some kind of connection to Patrick Stewart and to Hugh Jackman and them, but uh, or maybe Sophia Turner, or maybe they'll give her another shot to, to be in the movie. Um, but there's, there's no there's no way you can continue with the legacy of like those Fox movies that were just not great. Some of them were good. Some no, of them were good. But it's like not the, hate on the whole series, the whole franchise. Not, Some not, of them were really good. X2, X2 is like a top five comic book movie of like all time. But like. Right. Some of some of the other stuff like Apocalypse and sure. X Men Three when they try to they tried to do the Dark Phoenix story twice and both times they crash and burn. But um, you know, as a Phoenix probably does more often than not. Yes. Oh, we are off the rails, my friend. We are <laughs> we are off the rails. Uh, yeah. Well, like, Days of Future Past, pretty sick. Pretty yeah. sick. Great, uh, great yeah. movie. All right. So, anything left to uh to talk about here with Doctor Strange? I mean, May sixth. Or anything maybe about Moon Knight. I'm super excited for that one. I mean, Marvel going dark and just saying, yeah, we're not holding back. This is going to be on Disney+. Plus. We don't care. It's going to be violent. It's going to be real. It's going to be dark. And it's going to be spooky. I'm, I'm into and it. I, and, and Oscar Isaacs is a fantastic actor. Uh, I'm not sure about his British accent. See how much of that uh, is hey, part I'm, of. I'm just going to say, yeah, don't. That's a, that, I'm, I'm chalking that up to him having multiple personalities and accents yes. in the show. That's why it was weird in the trailer. Yes. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give that. And again, I'm willing to give it a shot, but his English accent is not, is not good. It's not good at all. So, but I'm, I'm super excited. And he's a fantastic actor, uh, English accent aside. So um, <laughs> I'm pumped. I am pumped for, uh, to see, uh, Oscar do, do his thing and be a, be a proper superhero. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. It'll be very very fun. And uh, yeah, if we see Doctor Doom and and Strange in this multiverse of madness, I'll freak mm-hmm. out. I think that's more of like a end credit scene reveal. Yeah. Then like the hype is crazy for a Doom show up or something like that. Because I feel like what they really could do with Doctor Doom with Victor Von Doom, if you will, is really really build him, and like. You know how Jake Gyllenhaal's character in uh, Spider-Man like was good for a little bit, and then he was yeah. not good, whatever, whatever. Like they did that in one film. They could Victor Von Doom that across like three films. Yeah, like really, really 
build him out. And like maybe people all know he'll be bad at some point. Yeah. His name is Doom. His last name is Doom. So it kind of gives him away. You could argue if he like had some points, right? Like I don't know. He's trying to protect the world kind of too. I don't know. There's a lot of things to be said about it. So yeah. Yeah. That'll make me excited. Yeah. I I think that absolutely set him up to be the you know, I know there's like a lot of cosmic things with like the eternals and stuff, but um I think they'll definitely set him up to be like the next Thanos. Like he has to be. But isn't Kang also the next Thanos right now too? Could possible. Entirely possible. They could exist in the same realms though. Yeah. It's entirely possible. There's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces on, on the board, my friend. I'm overwhelmed. Can't wait for March for Moon Knight. I can't wait for May for Dr. Strange. I've been wrecking Marvel content since that. Mm -hmm. I'll just tell you that much. It's fantastic. Absolutely. All right, Andrew, good stuff as always. This is a nicely timed episode. We had about 10 minutes or so. A Nick's talk, about 45 minutes of baseball talk, and then another 15, 20 of Marvel talk off the rails. Good stuff, my friend. Good stuff. Yeah. Happy, happy to be a part of the inaugural off the rails. There we and, go. And the thing, and the thing too, like me and Alec were talking when initially, when I think it was like a couple months ago, I think we wanted to talk about Spider-Man and we wanted to talk about like uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. We were like, how are, are we going to do a spinoff podcast of Subway Sports Talk? What are we going to call it? And then like, then you, you, you can't, we can just include it. We can just throw it on a little segment off the end there. Just, you know, the mother, uh, I forget what the, I forget what the, uh, Something is the mother of all invention. So you did, you did well. You did well. There we go. And you know what? If people don't want to listen to this, that's on them. And anyone who did listen to this, hopefully enjoyed. That's all I can say. So Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Thanks for listening to this special off the rails segment. And uh, let me, let me hear your Knicks takes. I want to hear your Knicks takes. I need to hear people rant and rave and be upset because I'm upset. And misery loves company. So let me hear that stuff on Twitter at Subway Sports Talk, TLK, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you want to do. Subway Sports Talk. YouTube, don't forget, subscribe, hit the notification button, rate review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. As always, Andrew Klein, I'm Pete Cheers. See you.